Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Podcast. Good morning, Eastside. So, um, it, it's it's interesting. I've been I've been having these all the feels and stuff, and I don't know if you guys are in this place, but since I'm the one with the mic, I'm just going to talk about all those things today. Um, we we are here wherever it is we happen to be. And I just am getting the sense that it's easy sometimes to get up and, and preach to a room full of people and just kind of just cover you with one whole word when the truth is is that we are all in as many different places as there are people in this room. That we are in so many different here's it's, it's not even funny. So, I mean, wherever I happen to be and wherever I call here is different from wherever you may call here or you may call here. And we're in so many different places. And David Wagner, who's a writer, he wrote a poem called Lost, and he describes here as a powerful stranger. I like that, this idea of, of here, wherever it is we happen to be being a powerful stranger, because a powerful stranger is somebody that it is good to become acquainted with, and it's also very good to have on your side. Does that make sense? And I don't think it's an accident that God calls himself. One of his names is Jehovah Shema, which is the God who is here, who is present. And Jesus, who is called Emmanuel, is God with us. And the Holy Spirit is the one who is with us when Jesus leaves. And I want us to think today about God as the powerful stranger among us. That he is one who wants to be known, wants to be seen, wants to be understood. And it is good to know that he is on our side. So I want to begin with uh, prayer Theologian Karl Barth says, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. So I want to begin with a, with a, a Maasai prayer. And the Maasai people in Kenya are right now struggling because the government is actually trying to move them from their ancestral land to somewhere because the land that they're on, they want to be able to use for big game hunting and tourism and things like that, and so they they wanna move them. But the Maasai people have this prayer that I think is so spectacular, and I want this to be our prayer today. And it is, for your blessing, we thank you, God. Faith in you, increase it, we beg, so that we no longer doubt, drive out, all our miserliness so that we do not refuse you anything. Increase our faith for the sake of those without faith. Make us an instrument of your faith for those with only a little. Fill our bodies with faith, our bodies that work for you all our days. Help us to avoid the enemies of our faith or to overcome them. You are with us in confrontations. This we believe. In your hands we place ourselves. We are secure. Make haste to enter our hearts. Make haste. Amen. Our text today is going to be Luke 8. 
and it's going to be verses 26 to 39. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the passage, and so I want you to hear it. Some of you have heard it before, but I'm going to read the whole passage, and it's a big old chunk, so I want you to kind of bear with me here. Luke 8, 26 to 39, if you have your Bibles. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had gone out had begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went his way and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now many of you have heard this story, been told this story, are familiar with this story, and those of you who have not heard this story are probably a little bit luckier than those of us who have, mostly because you are not saddled with the burden of past preaching or commentary or interpretations. But what I want us to do today is I don't want you, those of you who are familiar with this story and have your thoughts and ideas about it, I don't want you to suspend what you already know, but I would like for all of us to submit our intellects to our imaginations today. And I would want us to submit our understanding to our curiosity. I want us to be like Lucy in C.S. Lewis's the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and how she would keep feeling for the back of the wardrobe, and then when she finds that there's no back to the wardrobe, she just keeps moving toward what was beyond it. And there is something that God is calling us to. There is something beyond us right now. And it's in the, in the here and in the right now. And yet there's this upheaval of everything in our lives right now. And God is calling us. He's calling us into the here, into where we are. Because normal is giving way to new. 
The forefinger of God is crooked and he is saying, come. So come into this story with me. Enter it feeling for what's powerful and strange in it. So we begin with, with Jesus stepping onto the shore off the Lake of Galilee where he's met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Now, actually, it seems like we're starting at the beginning of a story, but we're actually starting in the middle of a story. We're technically, we're starting in the middle of a four-part mini-series, and it's a four-episode mini-series, but more about that later. What you need to know for now is that the story that came before matters, because when they journeyed across the Galilee Lake, they journeyed across a lake and there was a huge storm that happened during that time. And many of you are probably more familiar with that story, that they're traveling across and you had the, the disciples who were in the ship and the ship is tossed and it's thrown and it's, 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 being, it's being tossed and it's being abused by this storm. And the, the disciples, they run to Jesus and they, don't you care that we're dying? And Jesus comes up and he rebukes the storm, as King James Version says. And it says, he says, peace be still. What I, what I like about this story is, is in, the, in the Greek, that word peace, where it says he rebuked the storm, it actually, in, instead of him just saying peace be still, in the Greek he actually said be muzzled to the storm. He said be muzzled. He didn't say be gone. He didn't say, stop being a storm. He said, what the storm does, quiet. And so I say that because the story continues to develop. By the time he gets off this boat and he gets onto the shore, the story is developing a little bit further because the same Jesus who meets us when we're in a storm is the same one who meets us when the storm is in us because this story goes to that, right? It goes from being a storm on the outside to a storm on the inside, but it's still the same story. You still have circumstances out of the control of people. You still have people who are out of options, but it's a little further along because the disciples, they go to Jesus and they say, don't you care that we're dying? They assumed a relationship with Jesus and had expectations attached to that relationship. But this man that we meet, he's beyond that. Life is, life is harder for him. This man, this is a man who has given up on life. This is a man who has given up on himself and he has given himself over to the storm that is happening inside of him. Verse 27 says, for a long time, this man had worn no clothes or lived in a, or lived in a house. He didn't, didn't live in a house, but he lived in the tombs. So this is a man who had no dignity, no community, and he was living among the dead. He was living like the dead. And God said in Genesis, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. Jesus said in the Gospels, I came that you would have life and that you would have life to the fullest. And then Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This man, this man was living the opposite of what it means to be the Imago Dei. 
He was living so far from God's design as it's stated in Genesis. He is not a man who's got joy to the fullest. His life is incomplete and he's not living his life the way he was designed to live it. His life is consumed by, it's defined by, it's in bondage to one thing and that is his demon possession. He doesn't even have a name. We call him the guy who was possessed by the demons. Like it'd be nice if his name was Fred or something else because in the Bible, when you have a name, there's something about the name, right? That helps define who you are. This man is defined by the writer of Luke, by what was happening to him. He's identified by his circumstances. According to Mark, he had superhuman strength but it didn't keep him from hating himself or hurting himself. It said that he would break his chains, but when he broke those chains, he would just cut himself with sharp stones. He's not even speaking as himself. He's speaking as what his circumstances are. Now, it's easy for us to distance ourselves from his existence. It's really easy for us to separate ourselves from his experience because we say we're not like him because this is a story about demon possession. And that is a very real thing, demon possession is. And, and we're not running around in the tombs and we're not naked and running around like crazy people, right? At least not here, we're not. And we're not making an unholy spectacle of ourselves, right? But remember, we're reaching with Lucy Pevensey's hands, right? And we're feeling for what's beyond the four walls of this man's circumstances, and we're trying to find the hidden story within his story. We're trying to find the story that is meant for all of us and for each of us. We're trying to find the story that will connect us to him. Compassion, says Frederick Buechner, is the sometimes fatal capacity for feeling what it's like to live in somebody else's skin. It's not to say, I know how you feel, but rather it is to say, I feel how you feel. And when we learn how to do that, how to feel what other people feel, we come home to our truest selves and we make a home for others who are among us. So let me ask you this, have you ever lived outside of God's design for you? Have you ever resisted belonging? Resisted becoming? You've made decisions that maybe harmed yourself or separated you from other people? Have you ever felt or been desperate or out of control? Have you ever given up on yourself or given up on other people? Have you ever been given up on? Have you ever been isolated or been overcome by loneliness? Do you know what it's like to be in bondage, addicted, a slave to anything? Has trauma ever caused you to behave in ways that you can't control, can't manage, no matter how hard you try? It brings to mind Paul's words in Romans 7 when he said, I do not understand what I do for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, that I do. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I've been where Paul was. And I've been where this guy was. 
I've been subject to death, living without actually living. I've chosen ways that seemed right to me, but that would lead to death and destruction in my life. I've lived without hope. I've turned away from things that were better because they were harder to deal with. I've been desperate. My demons have not always been so outwardly offensive to other people, but they were no less unholy. My demons have made me hate myself and hurt myself. My demons have tortured me in my shame. They have driven me out of loving relationships and driven me in to unloving relationships. I know, I know I'm not alone in this room. Like this man, our demons plague us and we fight some, but we give in to others, do we not? Like Paul, we struggle. But right here, right here, in our understanding of this struggle, I wanna pull out of this story. I wanna pull out, I wanna pull out because what we have in this story is a story within a story. Luke is a master at this. And particularly when you go through Luke and the book of Acts, you see these smaller stories that when you put them together, they make a larger point. And Luke is genius at this, and he does this really well with this story. Because if you don't pull out of this story and see the things that are around it, then you miss the story. And the reason you'll miss the actual story is because it's like the book of Esther. In the book of Esther, you never hear the word God. God's not mentioned in the book of Esther, but his fingerprints are all over that story. When you read that story, you see God all over it. In this story about the demon-possessed man, there is something that you don't see in the words, but it's all over it. And so we have to pull out to find out exactly what that is. So we have this cluster of four stories. Cluster of four stories, and the first story is the story of the storm and Jesus in the storm with the disciples. And then you have the demon-possessed man. Well, right after that, Jesus leaves that place, and then he goes, and you have the woman with the issue of blood comes right after that. And then right after that, you have the story of Jairus and his daughter. So you have this cluster of people who encounter Jesus, and all of them are desperate. All of them are struggling. The disciples in the storm, the demoniac, the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus in the synagogue with his daughter. In the first story with the disciples, Jesus asks them, where is your faith? The woman with the issue of blood, he says to her, your faith has made you whole. And when Jairus is told by the people, don't bother the master anymore because your daughter is dead, Jesus looks at him and says, just believe. This is four stories about faith. And the word is not mentioned in the story of the demoniac, but it's there. Because faith is never theoretical. It is always invitational. Faith is never something that goes into your brain and says, process it here. Faith is always translated into your behavior. My friend Brian Loritz, his father Crawford says, faith is a verb even when it's a noun. Because it cannot be seen apart from your actions. 
And so if we don't see this story in the larger context of faith and what faith makes you do, then we can't see what we are being called to within this story. So if you go back to the story, let's, let's go back in. And what we find when we look at the story of this man through the lens of faith, the first thing we find is that when you have faith, it moves you closer to Jesus, not further away. And you look at all the stories, the disciples, they're freaking out, they're afraid, they're desperate, and the first thing they do is what? They go to Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood, she is desperate, she's afraid, and what does she do? If I could just touch the hem of his garment. And Jairus, who is told, your daughter is dead. This is a man who is a leader in the synagogue who goes to Jesus, he's afraid and he's desperate, and he goes to Jesus knowing what that's gonna make him look like among the people that he works with. And then when they tell her he's de she's dead, when they tell him she's dead, he looks to Jesus and Jesus says, just believe. Because faith, when we are afraid, when we are desperate, when we are struggling, when we are unknowing, when we are uncertain, brings us closer to Jesus, not further away. And when we come closer to him, we see what perhaps we did not see before. And that is that Jesus sees you and that he's got you. When this man comes to Jesus, what does he say? Jesus says, what is your name? The man says, legion, because there were many demons, right? A legion in the Roman army was, was 6,000 soldiers. Some theologians will tell you, oh, well, there were 6,000 demons in this guy. Look, this is all you need to know about legion. Legion was enough. A legion of soldiers was enough to win a battle. And so when this man says to them, I am legion, he's saying, I, I'm overcome. There's enough going on in here that I can't. I give up. I got nothing. But here's the other thing you find out when you move closer to Jesus is that Jesus will tell you that a legion is nothing in the face of love because Jesus can separate a person from a problem even when we can't separate ourselves from our problems. <laughs> Jesus understands that people are to be loved, not fixed, but healed, not managed, but delivered, not pushed away, but brought near and transformed and, and, and sent out to give the gift of their healing to the rest of the world. In the face of love, we find our weaknesses transformed into vulnerability. Now, what's the difference? When we are weak, we say, I can't do anything for you. When we own our vulnerability, we say, you can do anything with me. And so when we are vulnerable, it connects us to the person that we're vulnerable in front of. Because vulnerability is the soil into which God plants the seeds of belonging. The same heart that has left us open to hurt is the same heart that declares itself open to love. 
So when faith moves us closer to Jesus and we see the love that leads to healing and belonging and freedom, we understand what the disciples and the demoniac and the woman with the issue and Jairus understood, and that is that Jesus is Lord over everything. When you look at those four stories and you put them together, what you find is that Jesus is Lord over creation when he says, muzzles the storm. Jesus is Lord over the devil when he casts those demons out and into those pigs. Jesus is the Lord over disease and he is even Lord over death. And that gives us in those four stories a foreshadowing of the cross where Jesus is victorious over all things. That there is nothing that doesn't fit into those four things. He is Lord over all things. And finally, that means that with faith, Jesus is Lord over you, over your life. And so what I love about this story is that with faith and with our moving closer to Jesus, what we find is that our life as we knew it is never going to be the same. I remember in this period in my life where I was just, I was just wilding out. It was all the things that I wanted to do, I just did. That's just who I was. But every so often, I'd go to bed and there would be this thing that was just bothering me and I couldn't figure out what it was. And so I, just, I would just pray. God, what is this? And I would hear three things. I'm not gonna, no, he'd say, follow me. And I'd say, where are we going? I'm not gonna tell you. You can't turn back and you'll never be the same. I'd say, I'm not going. I did. I, would just, I just said, I'm not going. Now, the fact that I'm having this conversation with God and not realizing that it is, in fact, God that I'm having this conversation with, it just shows you how off I was, right? So this would happen. Months would go by, have the same conversation. Then one day, he just said simply, why won't you go? And I said, I am afraid. And then thinking that I'm a genius, I said, okay, take enough of the fear. I'll go. He didn't do that. He just made me so uncomfortable that I just said, okay, I don't care. I'll go. Whatever, I'll just go. And I had peace for the first time and got a good night's sleep for the first time in a really long time. When I look at this man, I see myself. I see that there's stuff going on, wrestling inside of me. But when I make the decision to go closer to Jesus, healing is there. Deliverance is there. Love is there. I'm not fixed. I'm still an unholy mess of a girl. But God is with me, and he stays with me. These people in this, in this town, they were pig farmers. So let's think about this for a second. Jesus sends the demons into the pigs. The pigs go into the river and they're drowned. What does this tell the city? Life as you know it with this man is never going to be the same. Now I can't be mad at them because if I'm looking out and I see two thousand pigs floating in a river. Thousand, not two, not six. Two thousand pigs, dead pigs. My livelihood. I'm a pig farmer. 
floating in the river and Jesus is saying, you stick with me, stuff like that happens. I'm sorry, what? So I can't really be mad at them for looking at Jesus and saying, you have to go. Because when they saw what their life could be with Jesus, and it didn't matter that this man that they'd been putting in chains and worried about and trying to like give him kind of semi-community, this guy is in his right mind and he's healed because of his relationship with Jesus. And they saw him and they saw those pigs and they saw that life would never be the same. And they made a decision in their fear, in their desperation to separate themselves from Jesus. Jesus, you have to go. And so the guy who is healed, he's just like, this is the place I live in. I live in a community of people who don't want to get closer to Jesus. I don't want to be here. So he asks Jesus, I just take me with you. I want to go. Take me with you. And Jesus says, no. I need you to tell people what God has done for you. And it's funny because when you look at this, this story in the book of Mark, in Mark 5, we see pretty much the same things that have happened in Luke. But when you get to Mark 7, Jesus has left that town, done some traveling, and has come back to that same area. And those same people who said, go away, you've got to go, are now bringing their sick children and their sick family and themselves for healing. They're bringing him to Jesus. Why? Because this man, this man, when you get close to Jesus, your life will never be the same. This man who was without community was now able to go into community and make a difference in that community so that that community of people said, we need to get closer to Jesus. He becomes the first prophetic witness to the Gentiles even before Paul does. But here's the thing. Your healing is not just for you. What God does in you, he wants to do through you. Always. I love this Henry Nouwen quote. He says, the great illusion about leadership is to think that a man can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Some of you have been in the desert. Some of you have been through the desert. Some of you know the way through some stuff. And God wants you to help and to teach others how to make your way through those things. Look at your life. Look at your here. Look at your whole life. Look at all that seems to be weighing you down. Where is your faith? Your faith will make you whole. Just believe. Because the Jesus that we serve is the Jesus, is the Lord over all things. I love that Jesus tells this man, go and tell, the, tell your community what God has done for you. And then it says the man went and told his community what Jesus did for him. Because Jesus is God with us. 
So I want to pray for us today. I don't know where you are. I don't know where your here is. I don't know what you're struggling with or not struggling with. I don't know what you're ignoring. I don't know what you're pretending doesn't exist. I don't know what's hurting you. I don't know what's hovering over you. I don't know what's in you. I don't know the storms in your life. I don't know the joy that you have right now in this very moment. But what I do know is that if it's joy, you have Jesus to thank for it. If it's a struggle, you have Jesus to talk to about it. That there is nothing that is going on in your life that Jesus is not Lord over. And so I'm going to pray for you. And then Mike is going to come up and he's going to lead us into communion. And we're going to remember in that moment the Jesus that we have who is Lord over all things. Who went through everything and is now showing us the way. Who made his way to the Holy of Holies to sit at the right hand of God and who is now holding on to us and moving us into that area. But as we pray, I want you to think this week, when you leave this place, I want you to think about what are the deserts that you can lead some people out of? What are the tough spaces that you can actually say, this too shall pass? What are those things? And then ask God to put you in touch with somebody, in front of somebody, around somebody, that you can encourage and you can love and you can reach out to. Let's pray. Father, we are here. And in the same way you look at a sign in the wall,